That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Christian. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm excited for this show today. We're doing one of the best hitters of all time. We're also doing a miracle team in the 1991 Twins. Yes. Uh, yeah. T- you know, Rogers Hornsby was kind of a, a guy who was able to um, was able was able to succeed despite not having high expectations coming out of like high school and the uh, twins were able to overcome low expectations as well. So mm-hmm. I guess that's sort of the theme of, of the episode, but you know, they, you know, p- player and team, it's hard to uh, find a lot of similarities, but that, that could be the theme of the episode. So we're going to get into Rogers Hornsby for this part of the episode. Uh, Hornsby is, you know, he's pretty, he's pretty important. He's very, very important in baseball history. You could argue the greatest right-handed, right-handed hitter of all time. Uh, we have some stats to back up, back up that claim. And also um, he was part of a, you know, that offensive surge in the twenties, but you know, everyone hears about Babe Ruth and, and Lou Gehrig, mostly Babe Ruth, but Rogers Hornsby was that guy in the national league that uh, you don't really hear about that much in baseball history, despite him being, you know, statistically like a top 10 player of all time. So Rogers Hornsby, he was born in Winters, Texas. Uh, His father, unfortunately, died when he was two and a half years old. And after this, uh, the mother of the Hornsby family uh, moved the family to her parents' farm nine miles from Austin, Texas, and that was where Rogers Hornsby started playing baseball in overalls. So uh, back to back, back to back episodes where we have uh, guys playing baseball in overalls. Uh, Jimmy Fox actually showed up to a uh, professional tryout in overalls. Rogers yeah. Hornsby was just a child when he was doing this. Uh, and in the winter of 1902 to 1903, when Hornsby was uh, around six years old. Uh, the family moved to Fort Worth, Texas. And this is a quote from Society of, Society of American Baseball Research. Uh, quote, by the time he was nine, he was the leader of a semi-organized local team that had blue flannel uniforms sewn by his mother. The team sometimes traveled to games in other neighborhoods by trolley. Young Rogers loved, loved his uniforms so much that he wore it as much as possible even around his own yard. Uh, so that's that's a little taste of uh, early 1900s lifestyle that uh, I appreciated. I, you know, it's it's fun to imagine a, the lead, a nine-year-old leader of a baseball team in flannel uniforms. Um, that's just... Imagine uh, if Rogers Hornsby's team rolled up to the Sandlot and played against, uh, against Ham Porter. Yeah, that's... That would have been an event. That's uh, you know, that's that's the clash of that's the clash of the titans, you know, to yeah. the best. As the unstoppable force versus an immovable immovable object. It, exactly, you know, matchup of the century, if you ask me. 
you know, some, some people might ask, you know, 1927 Yankees versus like the 1975 Reds. I'm thinking uh, Rogers Hornsby's nine-year-old uh, semi-organized local <laughs> team. Versus, versus the 1884 Providence Grays. Versus, you know, 1884 Providence Grays or the, or the <laughs> members of the, uh, of the Sandlot. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. But anyway, Rogers Hornsby at the age of 10 was a messenger boy for a packing plant in Texas. And he also served as a bat boy for an adult team. And sometimes, uh, even at the young age of 10, was a substitute infielder because of his skill uh, with the glove. And by the time, by the age of 15 for Rogers Hornsby, he was playing with grown men in the Fort Worth City League, uh, not only for his for his team, the Northside Athletics, but he also would hire out to other teams uh, for a charge, plus transportation, plus his transfer transportation fare and room and board. So he would basically be a, a baseball mercenary, just being hired to, to play baseball for uh, for other teams within his league while playing for another team. Uh, he'd get two dollars a game plus uh, the transportation fare and room and board. So all benefits. Rogers Hornsby, and he also got to play his favorite game. And uh, the year after he did that, however, <laughs> he joined a girls baseball team after seeing a newspaper ad for uh, baseball players looking to play for money. And Hornsby actually had to wear a wig and pretend to be a girl while he played, quote, uh, according to Society of American Baseball Research, a number of games in North Texas for this girls baseball team. It's incredible. Um, it's yeah, it's incredible to hear <laughs> you, you you can tell that he loved the game. Yeah. Uh, he loved being around it no matter you know what he had to do to play. Uh that is I, I, Are you really trying to tell me that no one fell for that? Like did I mean, did no one say anything? They're like there's no way that second baseman is a girl. That's definitely a wig. Like I don't know, like maybe he was not the first person to do it. Maybe it was like uh, it was actually a guys' PED. league, but all the guys were were pretending to be girls. Yeah, maybe it was like PEDs in the '90s where no one talked about it, but everyone knew that. <laughs> There's a lot <laughs> of in this case, everyone on. knew that everyone was a guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unreal. So Rogers Hornsby. Uh, goes from when he's nine years old uh, playing for a uh, a team a, a local team in blue flannels that his mother uh, sewed and uh, then went to went on to his teen years where he played for a girls baseball team and pretended to be a girl uh, very very interesting story for him to come up unlike many of our other uh, STBNL history alums but he ended up attending Northside High School in 1909, and he would play baseball and football. Uh, however, he dropped out of high school after two years to become an office boy for a packing plant to support the family. So now uh, he's bouncing around in the minor leagues, and with baseball, he had yet to over he had yet to overwhelm anyone with his talent. He was kind of. He was kind of just playing with everyone else. Nothing too special there. 
and he was, quote, skinny as a rail and was not a great hitter up to that point. And in 1914, by the age of 17, Hornsby told his older brother, uh, he talked him into arranging a tryout for a Class B Texas League team. So he he was going at whatever lengths he could to, to try and get a professional contract. And he got a tryout, and they actually were impressed enough to give him a contract, but he was released two weeks uh, after he saw the field. So uh, later, uh, he got a bus to Hugo, Oklahoma, where he tried out for a Class D Texas-Oklahoma League team, and he made the team to earn $75 a month. But the team would disband midseason, but uh, Hornsby's contract would be sold to another team in the same league. And he didn't, he didn't do very well that season. He committed 45, 45 errors in 113 games. So he was particularly bad at defense, and he hit 232. And uh, we have a quote from Society of American Baseball Research. His teammate, Herb Hunter, remembered a frustrated Hornsby pleading, won't someone teach me how to hit? I mean, he was just, he was just playing for the, the love of the game, but he just didn't know how to do it, and he needed some, some coaching. And the St. Louis Cardinals did a spring training in Texas, as they would travel north, uh, they would play minor league teams on the way there. And the Cardinals played a split squad game against Hornsby's team. And the Cardinals only scout, Bob Connery, was actually impressed uh, for his ability to field bad hops. So he kind of uh, got over the, the error problem that he had. Yeah, and Connery was so impressed uh, with his abil- ability to field bad hops that he bought uh, Rogers Hornsby new spikes and a new glove uh, with his own money. And Hornsby hit 277, improving from his 232 mark from the previous year uh, with his Class D team, but still nothing remarkable. Uh, And he still uh, remains struggling defensively, despite what Bob Connery was able to see. And it made it even more surprising when the St. Louis Cardinals themselves Uh, a major league baseball team purchased his contract for $600 a month. Uh, Obviously they saw something that not everybody, not everyone else was seeing and not even his statistics were seeing. Um, But I think the Cardinals would eventually be proven right. And part of the reason he was signed um, despite not being that impressive was because an alternate league called the federal league had developed in 1914 and took some of the American League and National League talent. And when he reported to St. Louis, uh, when, when Hornsby re- reported to St. Louis, it was his first time being north of Tulsa, Oklahoma in his entire 19-year-old life up to that point. And now we go on to uh, the era in which Rogers Hornsby is mastering the dead ball uh, pretty quick as that, as that era is dwindling down. There's only five years left of the dead ball era at this point, and Rogers Hornsby makes his debut on September the 10th at the age of 19 years and 136 days. And he did all right in his first season. He hit 246 with a 552 OPS and 61 plate appearances in 1915, playing all games at shortstop. And when Hornsby asked his manager what he thought about him, he said that he was pretty small but had potential and that they'd they'd farm him out uh, for a year. So... You know, he's got an in with the club. You know, I mean, he's doing all right. And Hornsby took that literally and would proceed to spend the rest of the winter on his uncle's farm in Lockhart, Texas, and ended up doing farm labor, eating eating an entire meat 
Yeah, eating a lot of meat and fried chicken and drinking a lot of milk, all because his manager said they'd farm him out for a year. He did, they didn't literally mean anything about being on a farm. And uh, when Hornsby came to Cardinal Spring Training in 1916, he gained 30 pounds of muscle. So he was ready to play, and it had become very apparent that he was hitting the ball harder. So now we go to 1916 now, and he would finish mostly at third base, playing there for the 1916 season, but still did play 45 games at shortstop. And he finished fourth in average with a 313, fifth in OPS with an 814. That would mean second in OPS plus with a 151, and fifth in weighted runs created plus with a 148. He finished sixth in baseball reference war, fourth in fangraphs war, and he led the league in offensive war. During the season, because of his youth and performance, multiple NL teams seeked out an opportunity to trade him, but the Cardinals didn't do it. And after the season, the Cardinals would be sold to a new owner, who you might be familiar with, named Branch Rickey. So now in 1917, uh, he went back to mostly playing shortstop, and he finished second in the, uh, in the league with average with a 327. And he led the league in triples with 17, slugging percentage with an 484, OPS with an 868, OPS plus with a 169, and weighted runs created plus with a 164. He finished second in defensive war and second in defensive runs above average. So he's kind of doing it all on the field at just age 21. And he led the league in war in both on both sites. And no one in the National League was within 2B war or F war. So he was by far the best player in the National League at just age 21. And Hornsby's 1917 had the highest single season B war and F war in the dead ball era by a player in their age 21 season or younger. And, uh, and after improving the team from 60 to 82 wins, the Cardinals manager, um, Miller Hudgens, left the Cardinals to go coach the New York Yankees. And he would be replaced by Jack Hendricks. So then in 1918, uh, it's a, actually a frustrating year for Rogers Hornsby after, um, after being a guy where no one in the National League was within two B-war or F-war of him. Uh, it was a frustrating year for Hornsby in 1918. He was discontented with his manager and uh, the rest of the team, his, uh, his teammates as well. And at one point, after not sliding uh, at a play at the plate, he told the dugout, quote, I'm too good a ball player to be sliding for a tail end team, and unquote. So you can take that however, uh, however you may. And Hornsby also later in the season uh, called his new manager, Jack Hendricks, quote, a boob, uh, a uh, classic 20th, early 20th century uh, insult. Yeah. And Hornsby ended up hitting 281 with a 764 OPS, a 137 OPS plus, and a 133 weighted runs created plus. So, you know, it's the dead ball era, not a great OPS, but the OPS plus and weighted runs created plus showed that he was still one of the better hitters in uh, – in the league, he finished seventh in OPS, sixth in OPS plus, and eighth in weighted runs created plus. Um, so he's still in the top ten despite having a uh, frustrating year. And he finished third in defensive WAR and second in defensive runs above average. So despite not finishing in the top five in the major offensive categories, uh, him finishing in the top five in defensive categories uh, made him overall lead the league in both uh, lead the league in B war and finish third in F war. 
uh, in the year 1918. So even in a down year, he's leading in B-War. Uh, and the Cardinals finished in last place that year. And before heading to a shipyard job for World War I, he announced he would never play for the new manager, Jack Hendricks, again. And uh, with that, whether they took Hornsby's words or not, uh, the Cardinals board of directors did not bring Hendricks back for the 1919 season, and they had uh, Branch Rickey manage the team. And then we move on to 1919, the last year of the dead ball era. Uh, Hornsby was moved from shortstop to third base and eventually to second base and second base is where he ended up um, is where he ended up sticking. So he finished second in average with a 318 average, second in OPS with an 814 and third in weighted runs created plus with a 148 weighted runs created plus. He also led the league in OPS plus with a 150 OPS plus, and he finished top 10 in D war and defensive runs above average. That is a recipe to lead the league in both B war and F war, which is exactly what he did. And after the season in 1919, the New York giants offered four players and $70,000 for Rogers Hornsby uh, which the Cardinals denied despite being strapped for cash, then the offer would eventually be up to $300,000 of straight cash, but the Cardinals still would not make the deal. And this caps off, uh, you know, kind of a, a good era of Rogers Hornsby, sort of the introduction to Rogers Hornsby. From 1916 to 1919, uh, he hit 311 with a 818 OPS, a 152 OPS plus, and a 149 weighted runs created plus. And also in this four-year span, he was top 10 in hits, home runs, RBI, and was third in both B-War and F-War. So now we move on to the live ball era where he has an offensive surge that you don't really hear about in, uh, in the history books. Yeah. So now the year is 1920. The live ball era has just begun. And the MLB uh, announced that the baseball will have stronger yarn which allowed for the ball to be hit um, farther and it would be more tightly wound. So with this change, Rogers Hornsby led the league in RBI with one with 94, doubles with 44, and hits with 218. He led the entire quadruple slash line, which and his was 370, 431, 559, 990 for an OPS plus of 185 and a weighted runs created plus of 187. And no one in the National League was within two wins above replacement on either website. So Rogers Hornsby is getting going in the live ball era. And now we move on to 1921, where he led the league in runs scored with 131, RBI with 126, doubles with 44, triples with 18, hits with 235. And once again, he led the entire quadruple slash line with a 397, 458, 639, and a 1097 OPS a 191 OPS plus and 191 weighted runs created plus. No one in the National League was within three B war or F war. He was far and away the best player in the National League. And this season is the only in baseball history with 235 plus hits, 20 plus home runs and 16 plus triples. So 
you know, you're thinking Rogers Hornsby, he leads the league in the entire quadruple slash line two years in a row. He's bound to take a step back. However, he's only getting cooking pretty much. Uh, Rogers Hornsby in 1922 uh, led the league in runs scored with 141, doubles with 46, hits with 250, and he led the entire quadruple slash line, uh, slashing 401. 459, 1181. Uh, he also led the league in OPS plus with two, 207 and weighted runs created plus with 198. And he also, uh, from leading the league in average home runs and RBI, won the Triple Crown uh, with a 401 average, 42 home runs, and 152 RBI. And at the time, uh, at the time, his number of hits and home runs in a single season were a National League record, and his number of total bases in 1922 remain a National League record and the second most in a single season in baseball history, an extraordinary season in 1922, and his 1921 and 1922 seasons remain the only seasons in baseball history with 235 plus hits, 20 plus home runs, and an OPS plus of 190 or better. And his 135 games with at least one hit in 1922 are tied for the most in a single season in baseball history. Also, his 1922 season is the only season in baseball history with 250-plus hits, 150-plus RBI, and 10-plus triples. How about that? His 1922 is also the only season in baseball history with 250-plus hits and 42-plus home runs. How about that? It is also the only season in baseball history with a 400-plus average and 150-plus RBI. And it is the only season in baseball history with a 400 plus average and 40 plus home runs. How about that? You just keep going on those only season in baseball history. Yeah. And they're not really, they're, they're two filter stats, but also by the way, which is even more impressive. Yeah. Dude, I was say you didn't make it super arbitrary for most of those. Yeah. 400, 400 average and 40 home runs. Only Rogers Hornsby ever did it. And he only did it in 1922. That's right. Unbelievable. So now we move into 1923. And unfortunately, Hornsby injured his knee in May, and he had a severe rash that forced him to be, you know, bandaged up. Uh, so those injuries limited him to only 107 games and 487 plate appearances. And those, but those 487 plate appearances were enough to qualify him for rate statistics. So with that being said, of course, with the, with the hurt knee, he still led the entire league in the quadruple slash line with a 384, 459, 627, 1086. He also led an OPS plus with a 188 and weighted runs created plus with a 183. He finished second in B war and second in F war, but he also had a heated exchange with the manager multiple times during the season. And more trade negotiations went on for Hornsby with the Giants and the Brooklyn Robins, but the Cardinals still decided to keep him anyway. So, uh, you know, obviously with the talent that Rogers Hornsby had, uh, they were going to have a longer leash on the guy, even with whatever 
uh, in-house conflict he was bringing. So we're on to 1924, which you could argue is the best season of Rogers Hornsby's career. So through his first 74 games in 1924, he was hitting 397 with an 1108 OPS. I mean, just, just amazing. 397 with an 1108 OPS. Um, it's, uh, you know, one of the better seasons in baseball history if he continues that. And in his 75th game of the season, he went three for four, uh, which brought his average up to 402. And his average stayed 400 or higher for the remainder of the season as he hit 454 with a 1315 OPS from his 75th game on. And he ended up on the season leading the league in runs scored once again with 121, doubles with 43, walks with 89, hits with 227, the entire quadruple slash line slashing 424, 507, 696, 1203. Uh, I believe uh, career highs in all of those. OPS plus with a 222 and weighted runs created plus with a 221. Um, I believe uh, with, yeah, with the OPS plus and weighted runs created plus careers, high, career highs for him. And no one in the national league was within four B war or F war four. That's a lot. If you have four uh, baseball reference war in it's a good season. If yeah. you have four in a season, that's a very, that's a very respectable season. And that, that goes might, even like now. Yeah. And you might get, yeah, you, that's like an all-star season mm-hmm. for B war F war. No one was within that range of Rogers Hornsby. No one was within like an all-star season's worth of production uh, of, of Rogers Hornsby in 1924. And in 1924, the uh, most valuable player award was brought back to the national league for the first time since 1914. Uh, however, despite all this, Hornsby finished second in the MVP race behind Dazzy Vance, who went uh, 28 and six as a pitcher. They were a lot more uh, lenient on giving the, the MVP to pitchers back then. Um, so they gave it to, uh, they didn't, they did not give it to Rogers Hornsby that year. Ooh. What a, a real shame. Uh, <laughs> Cause I mean, how much better can he do? Uh, so that, you know, we'll, we'll put this, this Rogers Hornsby 1924 season into a historical perspective. The only men to have a higher OPS plus in a qualifying season in the modern era are Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, and Babe Ruth. Uh, his 424 average remains a modern era National League record. And also, By the way, I like to add the modern era that is since 1900. Yeah, 1900. That is the last 120 seasons of baseball. Yeah, 121 now, I believe. Yeah. One, yeah. 120 and a half. Yeah, 120 and 120 and two thirds. I yeah. guess, I guess if you include like 94 and 81, yeah, 94 and 81. I don't know, but a lot of years over, you know, 115 years. So his 424 average remains a modern era National League record, and his 424 average remains a live ball era MLB record. Uh, we just celebrated the 100th anniversary of the live ball era, so that's mm-hmm. the that's the history that he made live ball era MLB record uh, for a single season batting average. Also his B war in his 1924 season remains a national league 
single season record. And also it is the only season in baseball history with 625 plus plate appearances, less than 35 strikeouts and an OPS plus of 220 or better. It is also the only season in baseball history with 625 plus plate appearances, less than 35 strikeouts and a 1200 plus OPS, uh, OPS plus and OPS. He was, uh, he was doing it. So even if he wasn't a more offensive era or less offensive era, uh, smashed it in both. And also it is the only season in baseball history with 226 plus hits 85 plus walks and less than 35 strikeouts. It is also the only season in baseball history with 220 plus hits and in and a 220 OPS plus or better. It is also the only season in baseball history with a 420 plus average and a 220 OPS plus or better in 400 plus plate appearances. Uh, it is the only qualifying season in baseball history with a 420 plus average and a 1201 plus op OPS. How about that? And lastly, on his ninth, the last thing to mention on his 1924 season, it is the only season in baseball history with a 420 plus average and 20 plus home runs. How about that? So then we move on to 1925. Uh, before the season, before his 1925 season, after this historical season, which uh, is, according to Baseball Reference War, the best uh, season in National League history by a position player. Uh, before the 1925 season, the following season, uh, he signed a three-year contract worth $100,000, which made him only trail Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and Tris Speaker in salary. Uh, however, both Cobb and Speaker earned money from both playing and managing for their team. So if you're talking only players, he was only trailing Babe Ruth, who statistically was the uh, was the best of all time and definitely the best of Zara. And the team went, uh, the, the Cardinals went 13 and 25 to season, 13 and 25 to start the season. And the owner fired Branch Rickey as the manager, but kept him in as the general manager. And then Branch Rickey persuaded Rogers Hornsby to take over as player manager. And the move worked. The Cardinals went 64 and 51 for the remainder of the season under Hornsby's management. And entering the last game of the season, uh, which was the second game of a doubleheader, Hornsby had a 399 average. And in that last game, of course, he went three for three with a walk and a home run, upping his average to 403, uh, giving him his third 400 uh, season. And he ended up winning his second triple, tri triple crown in 1925 uh, with a 403 average, 39 home runs, and 143 RBI. He remains the only National League player ever to have multiple triple crowns. And he also led the league in the entire quadruple slash line, slashing 403, 489, 756, 1245. Led the league in OPS plus with 210 and weighted runs created plus with 208. Once again, being above being above 100% above average, uh, according to those statistics. And Hornsby hit 
447 with runners in scoring position, which allowed him to lead the league in, in runs batted in. And that was the highest average with runners in scoring position among play, among players with 60 plus plate appearances with runners in scoring position in 1925. And no one in all of Major League Baseball was within 3B war or F war. No one in all of Major League Baseball, not just the NL, but all of Major League Baseball. And Hornsby won the Most Valuable Player Award, uh, as he should have the prior year, but this time he's able to get the trophy. And the only other men to have a higher OPS in a qualifying season are Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, and Babe Ruth. Uh, as as you as noted, he had a 1245 OPS. Only Williams, Bonds, and Ruth have outdone that in a single season. Hornsby is all uh, also the only other man to have 200 plus hits and an OPS of 1245 or better in a season is Babe Ruth. And now what to uh, what Hornsby is exclusive in? It is the only season in the modern era with a 402 plus average and 140 plus RBI. How about that? His 1922 and 1925 seasons are the only seasons in the modern era with a 400 plus average and 140 plus RBI. How about that? It is the only season in baseball history with a 402 plus average and 38 plus home runs. Uh, his 1922 and 1925 seasons are the only seasons in baseball history with a 400 plus average and 38 plus home runs. How about that? Also, his three seasons with a 400 plus average in 300 plus plate appearances uh, remain tied for the most in baseball history. Uh, How? And he is one of two players with three plus such seasons in the modern era. And he remains the only player in the live ball era with three plus qualifying seasons with a 400 plus average. How about that? And Hornsby led the National League in the entire quadruple slash line for six consecutive years. And no one else has ever led their respective league in the entire quadruple slash line in that many consecutive years. Uh, just looked at look, looked at all the guys with the uh, six plus batting titles. No one uh, no one ever led their entire quadruple slash line in their league six consecutive years, like Hornsby did. And this caps off an incredible run, uh, an incredible you know six year stretch. But it, when you boil it down to 1922 to 1925, uh, it's even more unreal what he was able to do in those four years. He averaged a 404 average an 1183 OPS, 208 OPS plus, 204 weighted runs created plus, 31 home runs, 118 RBI, 40 doubles, and 211 hits per season. And from 1922 to 1925, he led all of Major League Baseball, led all of Major League Baseball in average slugging OPS, weighted runs created plus, hits, runs scored, RBI, he only trailed Babe Ruth in home runs, who is who was a uh, you know the home run king at that point, and he Hornsby also from 1922 to 1925 led all of Major League Baseball in B WAR and F WAR. So now Hornsby is kind of just torn around the National League, and in 1926 uh, he still had a very good year, but not nearly 
what he was able to amount to in 1924 and 1925. He hit 317 with an 851 OPS. That would make for 124 OPS plus and 128 weighted runs created plus. However, he did still hit 391 with runners in scoring position. And after leading the National League in all of such categories for the last six years, he only finished top 10 in one slash line category, which was 10th in OBP. He finished 6th in B-War and 7th in F-War, and also finished 18th in the MVP vote. So despite the drop-off in performance as a player, he still played a pretty big role as a player manager. So he was the mastermind behind midseason acquisitions Billy Southward, who hit 317 with an 853 OPS in 99 games with the Cardinals, and future Hall of Famer Pete Alexander, who had a 291 ERA in 148 and a third innings pitch with the Cardinals. And the team ended up going 89 and 60, 89 and 65 and winning the National League pennant for the first time ever. The Cardinals lost game one to the Yankees, but then Pete Alexander threw a complete game with one earned run in a 6-2 Cardinals win. So the series was tied. The Cardinals won game three, but then lost game four. So now it's tied up at two. In game five, the Cardinals had a 2-1 lead to start the ninth, but they blew it and lost three to two in 10 innings. And in game six, with a series back in the Bronx, Alexander threw a complete game with two earned runs in a 10-2 victory. So we got a game seven on our hands. And Hornsby told Pete Alexander, who was known to have a drinking problem, to ease the booze following game six because they may have needed him in game seven. And the Cardinals were out to a 3-2 lead in game seven, and starter Jesse Haynes loaded the bases with two outs in the bottom of the seventh. So Pete Alexander was called upon to strike out, and he would strike out Tony Lazari to get out of the jam. And Alexander retired the next five batters he would face, bringing up Babe Ruth with two outs in a one-run game in the bottom of the ninth of game seven of the World Series. And Ruth actually drew a walk. But then he tried to steal second base, and the Cardinals catcher threw down to Rogers Hornsby, who tagged Babe Ruth to make the final out and make Rogers Hornsby and the St. Louis Cardinals World Series champions for the first time ever. So, I mean, great move there by Hornsby, both on and off the field, on the field to get Babe Ruth, off the field to get Pete Alexander. And Horns, but although Hornsby did struggle in the series, he hit 250 with a 586 OPS, but his managing in the series throughout the series, like I just mentioned, is what earned him the title. And catcher Bob O'Farrell called him, quote, a great manager and said, quote, he never bothered any of us. He just let you play your own game. And journalist J. Roy Stockton called him a dynamic leader. Um, so after the 1926 season, uh, Hornsby was very confident uh, with his both, both his playing and managing ability. And Hornsby demanded a three-year contract worth $50,000 a year from the St. Louis Cardinals. And while negotiations for this deal was going on with ownership, uh, the Cardinals owner was talking with the New York Giants about a deal to trade Hornsby to the Giants if the negotiations for a restructured contract fell through. And the owner had also grown tired of dealing with Hornsby, uh, which didn't help the contract negotiations. The owner might have sort of lowballed him on purpose. And when Hornsby gawked at a one-year contract offer made by the Cardinals owner, the trade was made to the Giants. And Hornsby, you know, especially after, you know, leading his team to its first World Series ever in 
you know, it had been, uh, I think 23 world series up to that point, his first world series ever. And the franchise's first world series ever Hornsby would go on to call this the biggest disappointment he had in his life after what may have been the best moment of his life, uh, tagging Babe Ruth to, to, uh, earn a world series victory. So then in 1927, uh, he comes out of the gate hot, comes out of the gates hot. Uh, unlike his 1926 season, uh, as a player, uh, he hit 417 with a 1246 OPS in his first 23 games. And he ended up finishing second in average that season with a 361 average. And he would go on to lead the league in runs scored with 133, walks with 86, on base percentage with a 448, OPS with a 1035, OPS plus with a 175, and weighted runs created plus with a 177. And he would go on to lead the league in both B War and F War. And he finished third in that MVP vote. However, manager, the manager of the John uh, of the New York Giants, John McGraw, uh, would sometimes not be able to manage uh, due to his dealings with sinus issues. Uh, sinus sinus issues have become kind of a theme. Jimmy Fox had those, uh, so Hornsby would fill in in, the, in those games that John McGraw would not be able to manage. And according to Baseball Reference, the Giants went 22 and 10 in the games that Hornsby managed. And the Giants went 90, 92 and 52 and finished two games behind the NL pennant winner. And after Hornsby's personality, personality clashed with Hall of Fame manager John McGraw, who was kind of known for his personality, and also Hornsby was criticizing the Giants owner at points during the season, uh, and also, Rogers Hornsby had a highly publicized lawsuit against him uh, with a bookie claiming that Rogers Hornsby owed him $70,000 from unpaid horse race bets. Uh, with all that, with the combination of all that, uh, the Giants decided to trade Rogers Hornsby to the lowly Boston Braves, who went 60 and 94 uh, in that 1927 season. So now we're moving on to 1928. It's a new year, and Rogers Hornsby is once again in a new city. And the Braves manager resigned after an 11 and 20 start. So naturally, Hornsby took over. And uh, unfortunately, this change didn't make any difference. It was awful. The managerial change uh, ended up with the Braves going 39 and 83 with Hornsby managing. But Hornsby did still deliver on the field. He led the league in the entire quadruple slash line with a 387, 498. 632, 1130, an OPS plus of 202, and a weighted runs created plus of 196. He led the league in B-War and F-War, and he finished 13th in the MVP vote. And this is the only season by a player in their age 30 season or older, with 600-plus plate appearances, a 385-plus average, and an 1100-plus OPS. It is also the only season by a player in their age 30 season or older, with 600-plus plate appearances, a 385 average, and an OPS plus of 200 or better. And the Braves were deep into their debts and Hornsby had a new three-year $120,000 contract. So Hornsby urged the Braves owner to get a deal done to send him to the Cubs who had just finished four games behind the NL pennant winners. And the Braves ended up trading Hornsby to the Chicago Cubs for five players and $200,000. 
So now Hornsby is with sort of the crosstown rivals of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, who he had a very good history with, ended up ending badly. But now he, he was with the Cubs. And in 1929, he was dealing with continuous pain in his heel, but it did not stop him from finishing third in batting average with a 380 average. And then to the to where he led the league, led the league in runs scored with 156, slugging with 679, OPS with an 1139 OPS, OPS plus with a 178, and weighted runs created plus with a 174. And in 1929, uh, with his new team, no one in all of Major League Baseball was within two B war or three F war. No one in all of Major League Baseball was within that range of Rogers Hornsby. And he won his second MVP. And that leads to uh, a little show to be named later correction. So last accountability. week, some, yeah, accountability. Uh, we're holding ourselves accountable here. So last week, we stated that Jimmy Fox was the first player to win multiple MVPs. Uh, he was actually the first player to win multiple American League MVPs and the first player to win multiple MVPs under the modern form of voting. However, Rogers Hornsby was actually the first MLB player to win multiple MVPs. So we apologize to the audience. We, uh, we hope to not spread any more misinformation about baseball history. So Rogers Hornsby was actually the first guy to win uh, multiple MVPs, uh, at least in the uh, in the National League. So uh, his 1927 and 1929 seasons remain the only seasons by a National League player in their age 31 season or older with a 350 plus average, 25 plus home runs, and 125 plus RBI. His 1928 and 1929 seasons remain the only seasons by a player age 30 in their age 30 season or older with 600 plus plate appearances, a 380 plus average, and an 1100 plus OPS. And it is the only season by a player in their age 32 season or older with 39 plus home runs and 45 plus doubles. And his 156 runs scored remained the most in a single season by a National League player in their age 30 season or older. And lastly, uh, on his personal accolades, it is the only season by a player in their age 30 season or older with 35 plus home runs and 225 plus hits. And the Cubs ended up going 98 and 54 and winning the National League pennant by a 10 and a half game margin. And the Cubs were facing the Philadelphia Athletics and the American League's F4 leader, Jimmy Fox. So a crossover between uh, our last two STBNL alum. And the Cubs lost game one by the score of three to one. And they lost game two by the score of nine to three. And Hornsby in those two games went a combined one for eight with a walk. And in game three, in the top of the sixth, Rogers Hornsby hit a game tying single. Uh, Hornsby went two for four on the day total in game three and route to a three to one Cubs victory. And Hornsby went two for five with a triple in game four of the series, which was the, uh, like we talked about, last week 
was the game where the Cubs blew an eight to nothing lead and lost the game 10 to eight. And Hornsby went 0 for four in game five, which is where the Cubs lost on a walk off three to two, which lost them the World Series. Uh, Hornsby overall uh, hit 238 with a 654 OPS with eight strikeouts in 22 plate appearances in that 1929 World Series. But nonetheless, Rogers Hornsby, uh, in the decade, he was, uh, he was a decade definer, you know, especially in the National League. So in the 1920s, of course, this wraps up the, uh, the Roaring Twenties. Uh, in the 1920s, he was second to Babe Ruth in home runs, RBI, runs scored, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, weighted runs, created pause, B-War, and F-War. Uh, also in the 1920s, he led the National League in all those categories. So he was he was the Babe Ruth of the National League during his time. And or, in, or was, Babe, was Babe Ruth the Rogers Hornsby of the American League at that it, time? Hey, you know what? That's, a good, that's a good point. That, that is a good point. And in the 1920s, uh, Hornsby led all of Major League Baseball in hits, doubles, and batting average. Uh, he maintained a 382 average 1096 ops 188 ops plus 186 weighted runs created plus in the 1920s and he also garnered 2085 hits uh in that single decade and in any other decade literally any other decade in baseball history he would have led the decade in b war and f war it's just that babe ruth was was there during that decade so he would have been the player of any other decade and also rogers hornsby uh has the most career b war and f war before a player's age 34 season in baseball history so now the decade turns to the 30s but uh rogers hornsby unfortunately starts to hurt himself a little bit before the season he removed bone spurs from his heel in surgery which He's the pain only temporary, temporarily. Uh, the pain in his heel remained in the spring of 1930, but he only played 28 out of the team's first 40 games. In his 28th game of 1930, he broke his ankle sliding and he would miss the next 78 games. He only made four starts uh, for the remainder of the season. And after he, after, yeah, I'm going to redo that. He only made four starts for the remainder of the season, and he came in off the bench in 10 other games. And with four games left in the season, the Cubs owner, William Wrigley, a name you might be familiar with, announced that Hornsby would be taking over as player manager for the remainder of the year and for the next season. And he ended the year, despite being hurt, he still did pretty well for himself, ended with a 308 average, an 817 OPS, which is a 96 OPS plus, which is unbelievable because, of course, you remember from our Jimmy Fox uh, episode, 1930 was an offensive surge for the for the year. You know, normally an 817 OPS is like a maybe like a 115 OPS plus. It's a 96 for Rogers Hornsby, and it's a 101 weighted runs created plus in 120 plate appearances. And the Cubs went 90 and 64. They finished two games behind the National League pennant winner, so no playoffs for them. And now he has one last hurrah in 1931. Hornsby played in 91 of the team's first 101 games, but then only nine of the final 53 games. 
and he ended up with a 331 average, a 996 OPS, 163 OPS plus, and 164 weighted runs created plus in 419 plate appearances. He hit 353 with runners in scoring position, and among players with 400 plus plate appearances, he led the league in OBP, OPS, OPS plus, and weighted runs created plus. So he was still driving the ball pretty well. And the Cubs went 84 and 70, finishing third in the National League under his management. So now for the remainder of his career, he's playing a little bit, but he's mostly a manager. So in 1932, due to his heel pain, he only played 19 games and he hit 224 with a 667 OPS. And the Cubs started the season 22 and 9 and with a three game lead for the pennants. Then they went 31 and 37 and were five games out of the pennant lead. And then Hornsby was relieved of his managerial duties for the Cubs. The Cubs went 37 and 18 for the remainder of the season and actually did end up winning the pennants. And the Cubs were so disconnected with Hornsby that they voted that they wouldn't give him any of the World Series share, believe it or not. Uh, so the, he, he may have been a little bitter with that. And after the season, he actually signed back with the St. Louis Cardinals to finish where he started. So Hornsby's back in St. Louis, uh, back where he started started his career back in 1915 uh 18 years later uh first time being with the cardinals in in seven years and he played 46 games through july 23rd uh, with 30 of those games being off the bench and he ended up hitting 325 with an 893 ops in 97 plate appearances but with the cardinals out of pennant contention uh the, they put rogers hornsby on waivers where the st louis browns uh picked him up and the Browns, of course, being a, a prelude to the Baltimore Orioles, if you're unaware. And the Browns immediately signed Hornsby to a three-year contract as a player manager. And uh, that leads to a brief uh, anecdote from Society of American Baseball Research, sort of to show uh, Rogers Hornsby's commitment to hitting and uh, why, you know, why he was able to be such a good hitter and what he kind of taught um, his protégés. Uh, so the quote goes, quote, Bill Werber remembered a one-sided conversation with the Raja, which is his uh, nickname, late in the 1933 season, when the Boston Red Sox and the Browns happened to be on the same train west to open a series in St. Louis. Midway through the long trip, Hornsby made his way into the Red Sox Pullman car and took center, center stage. Uh, Werber was in his first full major league season and was so and so was all ears as Hornsby expounded on hitting and eye care Hornsby said he had never seen a movie because they were bad for one's eyes he also thought reading weakened them as well whether through newspapers magazines or books he also stressed the importance of plenty of sleep and the avoidance of whiskey after Hornsby had exhausted his fund of his of advice, he rose and abruptly departed. Uh, so I found that pretty funny that he just uh, ran in the middle of, a, middle of a train. Uh, was kind of old man yelling at Cloud, but um, hey, I, it worked for him. So <laughs> that's if you're wondering why he was able to be so good, maybe that's why. Mm -hmm. And Hornsby with the St. Louis Browns. Uh, ended up going three for nine with two walks throughout through through the rest of the season with a home run uh, as a as a player in 1933 for the Browns. 
you know how in the Little League World Series when like the kids will like step up to the plate and like on their little like tag, it'll say like their favorite movie or like their favorite book or whatever. Yeah. Imagine if Rogers Hornsby came up and it was like his favorite movie just didn't exist because he doesn't watch movies. Yeah, yeah. It just says Rogers does not watch Rogers movies. Rogers does not <laughs> watch because... movies. They're bad for his eyes. Rogers Hornsby eyes. would, if he was still alive today, he would hate modern technology so much. Oh yeah, he'd be. I mean, maybe he could wear blue light glasses, but I don't think he'd even be into that. Hey, by the way, they work. Yeah. I'm, I'm wearing them right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so from 1934 to 1937, the Browns had yet to win a pennant in their 33-year history, and they only finished in the top half of the AL nine times, meaning that they were in the bottom half of the American League for 73% of their seasons, up to Hornsby becoming the first full-time manager, or well, him becoming a full-time manager for the first time and uh with eight teams in the american league they finished sixth in 1944 seventh in 1935 seventh in 1936 and last in 1937 and hornsby was relieved of his managerial duties after 37 and as a player he combined for a 296 average with an 828 ops a 109 ops plus and 108 weighted runs created plus and 127 plate appearances so after that that would eventually do it for Rogers Hornsby's baseball career. And uh, after he retired, after being let go by the Browns, he went on to manage several minor league clubs over the next several years, including the Baltimore Orioles, which would of course later become the name of a major league franchise. In fact, the one that the Browns would become later on, the Chattanooga Lookouts, the Oklahoma City Indians, and the Fort Worth Cats. In his inaugural balloting, Hornsby got 46.5% of the Hall of Fame vote. That is horrible. It should have been 96% at least. He then got 26.4% in 1937, 17.6% 70, in 1938, and then jumped to 64.2% in 1939. So after the Hall of Fame's inaugural inductions in 1939, the BBWAA decided to vote for the Hall of Fame every three years. So the next Hall of Fame election wouldn't happen until 1942. And in 1942, Rogers Hornsby was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame with 78.1% of the votes. And when the Texas League shut down due to World War II, he managed in the Mexican League, but he didn't like the experience and he only managed there for nine days. So then uh, after his days with the Mex Mexican League, he managed in the rebooted Texas League in the 1950s and eventually the famous Pacific Coast League which is now a triple uh, A league. And he was eventually hired by the St. Louis Browns in 1952, but was actually fired after 51 games uh, as he was not succeeding, nor was he very well liked. Uh, in fact, when he was fired, the players made a three foot trophy for the club president, Bill Veek, that was inscribed quote to Bill Veek for the greatest play since the emancipation proclamation, unquote. And according to Society of American Baseball Research, quote, uh, pitcher Gene Bearden said they ought to declare a national holiday in St. Louis. Uh, outfielder Bob Neiman was quoted as saying the news was like lifting a hundred pound sack of sand from each player's back, unquote. So the, the Browns were very upset with Rogers Hornsby, but maybe maybe they needed Hornsby because they never uh, they never ever won a won an American League pennant, I don't believe in their uh, no in their history. So, but they did have they did have uh, Ken Williams. They did have Ken Williams, and uh, 
you know, most importantly, Ken Williams and then, you know, George Sisler, but most yeah. importantly, most importantly, Ken Williams, but in 1922, in back in 1922, the first 30, 30 season ever, of course, wouldn't happen again for another, what, 35 years. Uh, Willie Mays was the next person to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, shout out to Ken Williams. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe the Browns needed a kick in the butt. Maybe Hornsby was offering it to him, but ultimately it was not, not the right fit, but despite uh, this unpopularity with Rogers Hornsby, the Cincinnati Reds actually hired Hornsby as a manager of their team. Six weeks later, uh, Hornsby went 27 and 24 for the re- for the remainder of the season and was actually signed on for the next season. Uh, Hornsby uh, was attempting to relax a little more on the players, but he was still a bit blunt naturally and was also, again, not well-liked by the players. And after the Reds went 68 and 86, he was let go by the Reds uh, like he was, uh, you know, a lot of times during his career. And that would be his last managing job. Uh, but he would find work in baseball for many years after that. And in the fall of 1962, he went into a Chicago hospital for a cataract surgery and ended up suffering a stroke. Uh, he spent the holidays in the hospital, then suffered a fatal heart attack on January 5th, 1963, where he died at the age of 66. But now we get into sort of the legacy and where where Rogers Hornsby uh, reflects himself in baseball history. So among career qualifiers, he is second all-time in career average with a 358. He is eighth in OBP with a 434, 11th in slugging with a 577, and seventh in OPS with a 1010. He is sixth in OPS plus with a 175 and tied for third all-time in weighted runs created plus with a 173. And minimum 6,000 plate appearances, his OPS ranks fifth all-time. Also minimum 600 plate, 6,000 plate appearances among right-handed hitters. He is first in average, first in OBP, Jimmy Fox is right behind him, sixth in slugging with Jimmy Fox being first, and third in OPS with Jimmy Fox also being first. Shout out to our last player. But however, Rogers Hornsby is first in OPS plus and first in weighted runs created plus. He is also fourth all time in offensive war among right-handed hitters. And a minimum 3,000 plate appearances among second basemen. He is first in average, first in OBP, first in slugging, first in OPS, and first in weighted runs created plus. He is the best offensive second baseman of all time. He leads all second basemen in B war and F war. And he is also ninth all time in career B war and ninth all-time in career F4. His nine times leading the league in, ah, wait, his nine times leading the league in slugging and 11 times leading the league in OPS are the most of such times in National League history. His 12 times leading the league in OPS plus are tied for the most of such times in baseball history. And lastly, his 11 times leading the league in B-War are tied for the most such times in baseball history. So Rogers Hornsby, obviously a great, obviously, you know, if you go just across eras, top 10 player of all time. And now we move on to our uh, STBNL history edition of. So with Rogers Hornsby, only Babe Ruth has more seasons with 10 plus 
baseball reference war. Only Babe Ruth has more uh, more such seasons. Rogers Hornsby got 10-plus wins above replacement six times in his career. Pretty unbelievable. Also, his eight seasons with a 360-plus average and 10-plus home runs are the most such seasons in baseball history. Hornsby also has six seasons with a 380-plus average and 20-plus home runs. No one else in baseball history has more than three such seasons. He also has seven qualifying seasons with a 380-plus average and a 600-plus slugging percentage, and no one else in baseball history has more than three such seasons. He's also the only player in baseball history with 2,900-plus 2900 2900 career hits in less than 8,500 at-bats. He's also the only player in baseball history with 1,000-plus plate appearances, a 350-plus batting average, and a 550-plus slugging. He's also the only player in baseball history with 1,000-plus Plate appearances, a 350-plus average, and a 175 OPS-plus or better. How about that? And he is the only player in baseball history with a 350-plus average and 300-plus home runs. How about that? So now we move on to Rogers Hornsby's legacy. And we've stated this before, maybe it's vice versa, but he was the Babe Ruth of the National League in terms of dominance in the 1920s. Uh, you know, when people think of the twenties, obviously you think of the Yankees, you think of Ruth, you think of Gehrig, that whole team. And, you know, they were a dynasty, but Rogers Hornsby individually, uh, was doing that type of stuff in the national league. And it resulted in him being, you know, relatively a top 10 player in baseball history and no one else quite had the ability to get hits at his rate while also hitting for power. He had the dead ball era ability to get on base via hit. And he had the live ball era to live ball era ability to hit for power, which you just did not see very much. You know, he had second, second best average of all time. And uh, along with, along with that 300 plus home runs, you know, only player in baseball history with 350, plus average and 300 plus home runs. And uh, he was also obviously, you know, from the start, you can tell Rogers Hornsby was absolutely obsessed with the game and obsessed with the art of hitting uh, from the time he was nine, he was leading his uh, leading his young local team with flannel uniforms. And he managed uh, until he was in his mid fifties until they told him he couldn't manage anymore for a major league ball club. Uh, he was always around the game. And, you know, even after he was let go as manager for, for uh, eternity, he was still getting baseball jobs, uh, still, still wanted to be around the game. And Hornsby was known for better, or for worse, for having a cold personality, especially in his later years. Um, he, he was just known not to uh, really, really care about what people had to think about him and sometimes had contempt for the people around him. And statistically speaking, ultimately, he is the greatest second baseman of all time. When you look at, uh, you know, you 
you take era out of it you know he's obviously not as evolved he obviously wasn't as evolved as like um you know robinson cano or uh dj lemayhew he's not evolved as evolved as those guys not seeing the same things as those guys but statistically speaking definitely the greatest second baseman of all time and statistically speaking uh the greatest right-handed hitter of all time all-time leader in ops plus and weighted runs created plus among right-handed hitters um i think he kind of earns that that mark you have you know babe ruth's the greatest left-handed hitter of all time rogers hornsby is the best from the right side uh both played in the same era so uh that's that's rogers hornsby for me that's right you know, you nailed it when you said he was obsessed with the game. I mean, he went to every length possible to stay in the game of baseball from the when he started onward. I mean, he played in a girls' league and pretended to be a girl just so he could be on the field. He persuaded his older brother to get him a tryout. Like, he refused to be off a baseball field when he was playing. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention, yeah, the girls', the girls mm-hmm. baseball team, mm-hmm. he did that, and he was persistent, and him not being exactly – the most talented uh, at a young age didn't deny him from, no. uh, you know, trying to get to He's that next the level. Most talented. Yeah. Which, which he eventually did. But yeah, any, uh, I mean, anything, anything more we got on Rogers Hornsby? I mean, I mean, greatest right-handed hitter of all time, greatest second baseman of all time. I mean, nothing will stick with me with this more than just how obsessed he was with the game. Like I previously just mentioned. Yeah. And I think with me, um, what sticks out to me is that dominant run from 1920 to 1925, where he led the league in the entire quadruple slash line six years in a row. People, people don't really uh, know all that much about that. And uh, he should be, he should be uh, recognized appropriately in baseball history. But yeah, that is uh, the conclusion of the Rogers Hornsby uh, part of the episode. We hope you enjoyed this. Uh, first of all, we would like to thank uh, Baseball Reference, Fangraphs, uh, especially for this one, Society of American Baseball Research. They were really on it. They had a bunch of information on Rogers Hornsby. And uh, we would like to thank StatHead as well, which is an offshoot of Baseball Reference. That's where we get all the how about that's. It's a very good site if you want to get good stats. If you want to see, you know, who the only uh, who the only hitter in baseball history is to have 350 plus average and uh, and 300 plus home runs, you can find that on that site. And also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we know we didn't have any videos, but if you want to watch us talk and uh, see see what we were doing. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's called STBNL with Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And follow our show Instagram at STBNL podcast. Um, with, all these, uh, with all these platforms, you'll know exactly when we are posting our episodes, which is sort of the benefit. And we uh, hope you enjoyed the Rogers Hornsby part of the episode. And we hope to see you tomorrow where we will be talking about the 1991 Minnesota twins. See you then.